0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 211 of the Running Rogue podcast. We're continuing our series with Jen and Ruth interviewing inspirational women. For this episode, we have an OG coach from Rogue who has some fun stories about the origins of our community. And so I'm going to turn this one over to Ruth to give a full intro for Janie Hayes. Here we go.
1: Our guest today was one of our very first Rogue coaches. She was also um, one of our first Rogue Iron Chick coaches, and Iron Chicks was our dancekin program that we did. Um, she has th- since then qualified for Hawaii Ironman, and as well as participated in the Trans Am Bike Race, which is a self-supported ultra-distance race across the U.S. Um, so you use your credit card, is what I understand, <laughs> but yes, you actually have to ride four to two hundred long miles uh, the first year. Because she's so darn tough. She finished um, in the top 10, which she was a third female overall. And then the next year, um, she was third place overall and uh, first woman. And she even got bitten by a dog, which just makes the story even more amazing. So we'll definitely get her to talk a little bit about that. She enjoys uh, gravel riding, running, (laughs) wearing costumes particularly, pretty much since I have known her. Um, And then really what I find inspiring, creating a lifestyle that allows her the freedom to truly enjoy life. Um, She and her husband, Jimmy, are a daily inspiration to me. I follow them on Facebook. Um, I really uh, admire their um, decisions they've made in order to enjoy their lives to the fullest. Um and so I'm excited to bring Janie Hayes as our third inspirational woman.
2: Thanks, guys. It's so glad to good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well welcome. So uh Janie we haven't met before but thank you for um joining our She Squad. We really appreciate you doing this podcast. Um we're re- very happy to to share your story with our team. Um, who is also uh, going through the Roar book by Stacey Sims and and having discussions around that. And um, we're looking forward to hearing your perspective, not only as a female athlete, but as the person who brought this book to Ruth's attention. And I don't know if you know this, but now she's read it. I'm going to go with like seven times, maybe it could be more. Um, So how did you hear about Roar in the first place?
0: Um, yeah, first of all, let me say I think it's so amazing that you have a community of women who are um, coming together to talk about this topic. Because I think it's um, I think this book was published in maybe 2016, 2015. Um, but I think this conversation is still kind of the leading edge of um female sports science, and um, it's a new frontier, which is really exciting for all of us, whether we're elite athletes or, you know, amateur athletes, just getting started, whatever. Um, so, and so much of this is uh, so personal as well, and um, I think hasn't uh, always received the dis- the attention that it deserves. So kudos to you guys for kind of um, bringing this to the forefront as a major Discussion topic. Um, I think, uh, you know, like probably many of the women in your group, um, this topic became important to me when I started getting night sweats. Um, I'm 47 years old, and uh, as Ruth mentioned, in uh, 2016, I decided to take on the Transamerica bike race. Um, and I also did it in 2017. And during that period, um, I kind of started getting some hormonal symptoms, probably perimenopause. And um, I, the biggest symptom was night sweats, um, but I was also experiencing some mood swings. So um, I went to see a doctor. I live in Salida, Colorado, which is about three hours South of Denver, but I made a trip to see a doctor in Boulder who specializes in um, women and hormones. And um, she did some testing for me. And I, after speaking with her, I just got really, really interested in that interplay between hormonal cycles and training and racing. Um, It was something that I hadn't really known much about before. And um, I'm definitely still learning, but certainly have you know, continue to pay attention to that in my own body over the last few years and actually found it very empowering um, to learn more and and see that there's more science emerging um, about how we can sort of be more attuned to who we are as women and continue to use that knowledge to um, perform better as well as to understand ourselves.
1: Yeah, the, I think when a I came down one time in the last couple of years and you told me about the book. It, it also, you also mentioned a lot about uh, increasing your protein and the protein intake, as well as being more knowledgeable about how hormones are kind of guiding your training and racing. Um, can you talk about some of the first things you did along those lines to, um, you know, make changes in your training or or racing?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things that Stacey Sims really hammers home on a regular basis is tracking your cycle and um you know like probably a lot of women i had just sort of had a very vague sense of you know when i was about to get my period um you know i was on i took birth control for many many years and then i went off it at some point um maybe kind of accidentally like <laughs> you know in a lag in insurance or something like that but i it turned out that I felt so much better that I decided to stay off of it. So it was about that time that I started really tracking my cycle. Um, So not only when I was getting my period, but how I was feeling um, through different parts of that cycle, as well as my kind of performance in my workouts, training and racing to see if I could start to see, Trends that were emerging. And then, you know, I moved to Colorado in 2013, and I think um, both living here at altitude, I live at about um, 7,000 feet, um, and then also, as I mentioned, you know, being in my 40s. Um, you know, recovery started becoming more and more of a priority for me. And um, so based on this book, I really started experimenting with increasing my protein intake, first of all, kind of after hard workouts and races. Um, and then just in general in my diet. So over the years, I've <laughs> really just started ramping up my protein intake. Um, and have started seeing some noticeable changes in how quickly I'm able to recover as well as just how I feel on a day-to-day basis. And I'm really lucky. Um, I have a male coach named Greg Grand George, who's based in Iowa, but he specializes in working with, uh, female, uh, ultra endurance athletes. And, um, so this has become an area of interest for him. He's an engineer. And so he, really delves into the science and he's made some recommendations to me as well. And we've kind of been able to work together to chart my workouts and training based on my um, where I am kind of in my cycle. Um, But I think even more than the physical benefits that I've found is really just understanding how my body works a little bit better. um, Giving myself sort of that quote unquote, Permission to not feel well certain times, and then really to try to capitalize on it when I am feeling great, because there are those times as well.
2: That make, wow, that makes Janie. That your okay. coach—he needs to write a book.
0: He's really great, and I—I I, I can't tell you how empowering it is to have someone who is. Um, you know, equally, if not more interested in the science, um, and is kind of incorporating my, uh, qualitative feelings with the quantitative data that he's seen.
1: That's nice. Is he looking at like your resting heart rate, those kind of things, or what, what, what kind of data on that side does he, does he keep an eye on?
0: Um, you know, we, um, gather, Power data, heart rate data. We now gather um, SMO2, which is muscle oxygen data from my cycling and occasionally my running. He we gather running power data, you know, running heart rate. So he basically can knows what's going on in my body better than I do. But then I make notes to him about how I'm feeling, and I really appreciate about him that he um, values both. Equally, yeah,
1: oh, that's that's really cool. Does he track? Is this? Oh, sorry, we're going to go off on this. Does he track all that through the Garmin? Is that how he's getting the data on, especially on the power running power? Is is that the, is it an application there?
0: Yeah, we use a running power meter, a stride. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a foot pod, but now it's. Uh, I think I have a newer one now. But in all that, I use um, Training Peaks software. Mm-hmm. So he and then he has a bunch of software on the back end that he's able to do more granular data analyses.
1: Oh, that's So does he ever like when you're in the middle of, say, you have a week it's going on and then he sees something pop up? I mean, does he say, whoa, <laughs> you need to stop. You're going to get injured. I mean, are there times where there's that much of an interaction and and does it often uh, like pair with your cycle? I would say that we make mid-course corrections if
0: there is a relationship between how I'm feeling and what he's seeing in the data. So, So, you know, things can be off for all kinds of reasons in addition to hormones. So, you know, he can't see the data necessarily and say, you know, oh, your power to heart rate ratio is not looking good today, therefore you know, we're going to change this because there can be all kinds of different reasons for that. But if I say, you know, I'm in a high hormone phase, um, I mean, he knows where I am in my menstrual cycle. But if I say, I really think that it's because I'm in this point in my menstrual cycle, I could not hit those VO2 intervals. Today, I had to cut it short. Then he would adjust my schedule based on that.
1: Okay, that makes makes a lot of sense. Have you also noted... Noticed during this time because you talked about like um, mental like mood swings and stuff is one reason why you sought out the doctor in Boulder. Do do you feel like this has also helped that end of things like mental like feeling better, more positive, or? Has it I I think
0: I think so, and I don't know if it is. Uh, hormonal or psychological, as I mentioned, I think, you know, there's, there's a strong, uh, empowerment effect to feeling like you understand why you're feeling a certain way. And, um, you know, I, I'm lucky that, you know, knock on wood up until now, I haven't had a lot of, uh, perimenopausal, um, mood swing issues, although, you know, very likely they're coming down the line. I'm ready for them. Um, But I think that, you know, just doing that tracking, knowing my body better, knowing that I have a coach that supports me in my decision making has just made me feel much more stable. And, you know, with the night sweats and things like that, for me, it's very episodic. Like they'll come for a few months and then go away and then come back for a few months and go away. But I understand that that's normal. For where I am, um, you know, in my age and my development, so it doesn't bother me nearly as much as it used to. If that makes sense, I did. I did take estrogen um, for a little while, some bioidentical. I didn't notice much of a difference um, for myself, so I stopped taking them. But that's something that I would definitely explore again if symptoms increase. Mm,
1: that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, it's funny because during menopause, I've noticed, uh, that it does exactly, I don't know, Jen has as well, but that's exactly how it goes. Everything comes in a cycle of, like you said, it'll be a couple months and you'll have more night sweats and more of the feeling of menopause that people talk about. And then it sort of wanes. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like it's, that's very, uh, very similar. Um, I was actually going to switch gears just a little bit unless uh, Jen, you had another question. I I do think, you know, I hope that, um, you know, maybe it would be great to get Greg on the podcast one time because I feel like I, I don't know anybody else other than Stacey Sims that's done a lot of studying and certainly, um, It would be nice to 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 kind of interview him a little bit more about how he works with athletes. Um, So hopefully we'll we'll get that contact from you. But I wanted to pull it all the way back because one of my most favorite stories about you, Janie, is you training for your first marathon back in college, and sort of like kind of what got you decided to do that. And then can you explain a little bit how you did your training?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. First of all, this is for people who are just getting into running. This is not necessarily a model for the <laughs> right way to do things. Um, but uh, just to like quickly, quickly back up a little bit farther, even before college for me, um, I was a total tomboy when I was a kid. I loved sports. I loved basketball. I wanted to be, I had a dream to be the first female professional baseball player. I loved running. I love sports of all kinds. And Around um, puberty, around age 13, I stopped playing sports altogether because I started liking boys. And, you know, for whatever reason, I got the impression that boys did not like girls who were tomboys. And um, I didn't do any sports. Really, for that reason, all the way through high school, I played tennis because that was you know acceptable because we wore skirts. <laughs> I tried to be a cheerleader, but I didn't make the team. so I kind of tapped out all those uh, girl sports type angles, and I kind of just gave up and um, it wasn't until i my, my between my junior and senior years of college i was I did go to University of Texas. Um, at Austin for undergrad, but I was at home in Atlanta with my family between my junior and senior years. And I think the sort of the end of college time period was sort of weighing heavily on me, you know, that question of like, what's my direction? Where am I going? What's the meaning of life? And <laughs> I remember really clearly, I think it was in, uh, June or July waking up one morning and looking at the ceiling fan. And just having this thought, I should run a marathon. And at the time, I was quite depressed. Um, you know, I I was having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. And I don't, I have no idea where this thought came from. Because I didn't have any friends that ran. <laughs> I was not at all inv- involved with like a community of athletes. Um, but somehow this vision of myself running a marathon spoke to me to be honest I don't even know if I knew how long a marathon was but it sounded like something I should do for whatever reason so that day I went to a running store um in the suburban Atlanta um community where my parents live and I bought a Jeff Galloway book called How to Run a Marathon and I read it cover to cover and it said that you need to find the right distance for your long run that that would be the most important run of your training and you should start there and build on that so that next day i went out to a one mile stretch near my parents house and i dragged myself through eight miles I don't know how, and I said, "Okay, eight miles—that's where I start my long runs." And I went back to college in the fall, and I just started building on that. It's really a miracle that I didn't get injured. Um, and that next February, I ran the Austin Marathon, and that kind of that period kind of sent me on the trajectory of just loving endurance sports. Um, So, like I said, it's not the way to do it, but it was the way that it happened for me. Um, And I guess it
2: worked. (laughs) Wow. She squad do not go out and just run eight miles. (laughs) Um, Jamie, I think that says that you were you were born an ultra endurance athlete. If you could just go from no running to eight miles um, overnight. That's amazing. So. Obviously, that was how you got started running in a kind of haphazard way. Um, But what has running brought to your life over the years since then?
0: Oh, gosh. I mean, like, how many hours do we
2: have? (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) I'll try to be concise about this. But um, running has brought me so many things in my life. I mean, obviously, first of all, it showed me that I could do something that was just so out of bounds um, for me at the time. Um, And it was shortly after running my first marathon that I discovered run techs and that there were, you could actually go and run with other people. (laughs) And that then just added this whole new element to my life which was endurance sports as a community And, um, you know, I began to make friends. I met Ruth around that time. Um, I felt like every time I would go with, for a run with someone, it was like an instant accelerator of like closeness to that person, you know, and, and I'm sure that you guys both have had the same experience. It's like the, the, the speed at which you can form friendships through sports is just light speed compared to, you know, quote unquote, regular life. Um, so those have been like two of the hugest things to me. Um, I met my husband through a run tech running group um, in Zilker park, actually. So obviously, you know, that's been a great gift to me. Um, but, you know, it's really, I would say running, running is not the only sport that I've done, but it was certainly, my first love as an endurance sport, and um, it really set me on a path that has just enhanced my life um, in incredible ways.
2: Yeah, that. <laughs> you're absolutely okay. right. I, I love the term "instant accelerator" because it's so true. Um, you know, the the hours that you put in by foot running alongside one someone, um, and Ruth and I've talked about this a little bit too. Also, just that the intimacy of the things that you will say to someone when you're not having to look them in the eye, sitting across the table or something, right? (laughs) You know, so I love the term instant accelerator. So then when did you, when did you layer in triathlons? When did you add that to the, to your running career?
0: Well, you might not be surprised to find out that was a little haphazard. (laughs) um, I, uh, I was dared. To do a triathlon. I wasn't a swimmer at all. I actually kind of always feel like a a fraud as a swimmer, no matter how much I swim. But um, this was 1998. It was a couple years after I had run my first marathon. And I was dared to do this uh, Danskin sprint triathlon. It was out at Pace Bend Park. And um, I borrowed a bike. I did not know how to switch gears. So I rode in the big chain ring the entire time. Um, I swam on a noodle during the swim, but I rocked the run. (laughs) Um, And then I just loved it. I crossed the finish line and I was like, can I do it again? And um, then uh, my boyfriend, Jimmy, who's my husband now, Um, he said, well, he was a more, much more experienced athlete than I was at the time. And he said, well, if you liked that, uh, why don't you do this half Ironman in Lubbock in three weeks? And I was like, okay, sure. And then my second question was, what's a half Ironman? Um, (laughs) So I had this like amazing experience three weeks later um, where I went to Buffalo Springs. I did Buffalo Springs, um, half iron man. Um, I think I was almost last out of the water. Um, I once again, rode a borrowed bike, although I had made improvements because I knew how to shift and, um, it was about a hundred degrees that day. I took a beer from a spectator during the run, which was probably not a smart move, but you know, that was how I was rolling at the time. And, um, yeah, I finished, and 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 then I I just carried on with triathlons. Um, I really liked the sport, and I was could tell that I had some potential at it because I am not a very like a fat super fast athlete at any one of the three sports. Um, but I knew I had lots of room to improve in each one of them.
2: I love it. You know what? I think I did dance in that same year. And I was the girl hyperventilating, um, holding on to one of the canoes <laughs> you while know, <on> your swim- <laughs> you're swimming past me with a noodle. I'm getting talked down off of a cliff by a very sweet guy in a canoe. <laughs>
0: you know, which might, which may have been my husband Jimmy, because he was a like a he was in a canoe or a kayak during that race.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh, we were destined to come together. There you go. <laughs>
0: It's <laughs> so great to run into you all these years later.
2: Exactly. Tell Jimmy thank you so much. <laughs> we'll do.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I have known you for years, and I you, you were starting to allude to it, but I think our friend group and I actually said it wrong. Team under trained. I kind of feel like that's what it was called, but but I now see in the notes that it's inadequate training. Because um, I, I do remember a story about the honeymoon training for. I mean, it was probably an Ironman. Who knows? But um, where you would swim back and forth in the pool which I think was just like maybe 10 feet long but then it seemed like there were margaritas on each end of of the lap but um and, and that seemed like it was always a lot of fun to be around everyone doing you know kind of getting into the sport but at some point you got serious um what what made you kind of like switch that from where and it's not that you trust me, everybody, they have a lot of fun, <laughs> but it's, it's, that hasn't really stopped, but there was a mode where it became like, I'm going to be more of a serious athlete, uh, along with making sure I have a good time.
0: Yeah, so, that's a great question. And, um, thank you for, uh, acknowledging that I still really like to eat donuts and candy corn while I'm working out. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of think of that change as like, in some ways, uh, just an evolution of, um, myself and my experience as an athlete, like I said, you know, one of the first things that running and, you know, endurance sports in general brought to me was this, um, you know, social aspect. And I developed so many relationships and continue to do so everywhere I've lived. You know, I, that's the first thing that I do is I go find the local sports groups and it's like, you know, just instant friendships. And some of the closest friendships that I've ever had have arisen in that way. Um, and I think the social aspect really lends itself to just doing funny things, right? Um, it, you know, you, it, it's, you can be so lighthearted with. Other people who are of the same mindset, and you know, I think especially when you realize that we're this is we're not professional athletes, you know, we're doing this for fun at the end of the day. So um, I feel like if I'm not deriving a lot of joy from what I'm doing, I don't really want to be doing it. But I think what happened for me over time was that I realized that joy has many faces, and it's not always just about having fun. Um, It's about getting to know myself. And that brings me a lot of satisfaction. And one of the ways that I could continue to know myself through endurance sports was to learn more about what it took um, to not just perform better, but to improve and grow as a person. So over time, um, I think I started to see that like, there was a direct relationship between the habits that I was forming. Um, For example, like the learning consistency and just putting in a little bit every single day and the rewards that I was getting back. And, you know, initially some of that, like validation, um, I won't lie, like came really strongly in the form of like winning things you know, being on the podium in like Ironman events and half Ironman events, I really did take a few years and get hyper focused on improving my times, getting faster, and just because of the it's you know just because of the years that I had put in and my willingness to be consistent, um, I you know it paid off and. Um, you know, there was a period of time, uh, like for three years, I think, from 2013 to 2015, when I was winning quite a lot of things, like I wasn't winning overall Ironmans, but I was on the podium a lot for my age group. And that was quite satisfying. But at some point, I also began to ask myself, like, why? (laughs) You know, what am I after here? Am I who am I trying to validate myself to? Who am I trying? What, what am I ultimately after, you know, um, because I think success is sweet, but it's like candy, you know, it, it's really good. And then it goes away really quickly. And then you feel like, okay, what's next. And, um, so for me, I think ultimately my mindset changed to, Uh, from, you know, how can I perform better to how can I learn more and become a better person? And for me, that's really, so I've stayed like pretty committed to training and racing. I still do a ton of training. I still love to race. Um, But I've started focusing more on what, what, lessons that I can learn that I can take forward in my broader life from sports. So it's become more of, you know, the running and the cycling are in service to me as a person rather than me kind of being at the mercy of, um, you know, races or competitions or times. And I think, you know, just a few examples, like, um, when I did, uh, went to Kona in 2014, I, the race was going great. And then I found myself having severe diarrhea in the lava fields for like five (laughs) or six miles of the run. And I got really dehydrated. It was very, very hot. And, um, you know, I went to the medical tent and I thought that I couldn't go on. And then, you know, in my brain, I was just like, for whatever reason, just keep moving forward. And so I just walked and eventually I rallied and I was able to finish. And it was at, like probably my slowest Ironman ever, but it was the most satisfying because I saw that I could just hit rock bottom and then come back and finish again. Um, and then, you know, I, I started, as Ruth mentioned, I started these super long distance kind of adventure style racing over the last few years. And what that brings me now, um, regardless of results, is really the value of overcoming fear and being able to step outside of my comfort zone. Um, And then last year, I uh, attempted the Tour Divide, which is a mountain bike race from Canada to Mexico. And I prepared for that race probably harder than I've ever worked for any race in my life. And when I got into it, I just didn't want to be racing. And I quit halfway through. And that really forced me to grapple with the questions of what are what is failure, what does quitting mean? Um, so I think those are just – that is a very, very long-winded way of saying that I have kind of shifted from thinking about um, my performance now to what I need to get from sports that can help me grow as a person.
1: I think that's really uh- – uh, interesting, especially with some—I, I don't know—when you get a little bit older and you can look back at it. Because I think one of the hiccups, just for me personally, always was that everything seemed to be centered around performance. And I, in the same way, it wasn't winning—it wasn't winning races. It was winning age groups, and you and the, the gratification from that. um And there needs to be a swing, not just because there there just because you're not going to always be there because you age, you get slower. This is just how the body works. You get injured, you get slower, all those things. So I really like the idea of switching to doing the same things, but getting figuring out what you learn and learn from those things, which kind of makes me think of a, the, the next question, which I had to ask or was going to ask you about is, one of the things I found so or some of the things I found so fascinating about your race across America was that you had a lot of interaction with people along the way that would come out and cheer you. so what kind of things did you get from the random person who would take the time to come out and write a sign or like come and talk to you what, what did, kind of what did you learn from them and what did you get from them during that during that process?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, and in a way, it kind of It's like a a different way of bringing the social aspect back into endurance racing. Um, So, just a little bit of background for people who don't know, but this kind of racing that I do is called um, self supported um, ultra racing. So, a lot of people have heard of the Race Across America, um, where you race your bike across America and you kind of have like a van and a support crew. This kind of racing that I do is um, self-supported in that you carry everything that you need with you. You are not allowed to have anybody help you. Um, you find your own places to sleep. You fi- source your own food. You get your own water. You do your own navigation. You keep your own electronics charged. Um, you keep your own motivate. You do your own motivation and all speeches, you know, for the most part. Um, so it, it can be a very um, solitary venture. Um, But, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today and just reminiscing that in 2016 um, and 2017, when I did this race, um, I that was at a time, I would say, like just kind of a cultural time in our country where there was a lot of divisiveness emerging um and that you know 2016 was the last election and um there was just sort of like i mean it, you know it almost feels more intense now but there was this way in which you know it felt like people were just getting more and more polarized and so um in a certain way it was a great moment to get to race across the country in these kind of races um the routes are tend to be quite rural um you know, to keep you on the safest roads and um you're get pretty vulnerable i mean you know you're really tired you're sleeping in snatches like a couple hours at a time, three hours at a time, found myself sleeping in ditches <laughs> you know you, you but you come you come into contact with a lot of people because you have to feed yourself um and find places to stay and ask for help quite a, quite a lot, you know, in terms of like, oh, I'm, you know, off course or whatever. um, Or can you tell me where, you know, I can find something to eat. So um, the latter part of, of the race took us through the Ozarks in Missouri, the Appalachians in Kentucky, and then the Catoctin mountain range in Virginia, all of which are very beautiful, but very rural places. Um, And some of those areas are, were, they really struggle with like great poverty. And then the opioid epidemic at that time was just in full swing. Um, And I would say that they are places that I would just never have reason to go, Um, even in a car, you know, when I'm traveling, but I got to ride through these towns and um, I, you know, they really changed my perspective on our country. And, um, you know, you mentioned, Uh, at the beginning, I was bitten by a stray pit bull, probably 500 miles from the finish in 2017. And this woman in this tiny town in Kentucky spent the whole day like trying to get me a rabies shot by driving me around to different emergency clinics. Um, You know, she tried to pay my bill uh, and like, you know, just kind of took care of me through that little mini crisis and then got me back on the road. And, um, then, you know, like in the convenience stores in every single one of these towns, every morning, like the, the local men will get together to talk politics or what's going on in the community. Um, and so early mornings, I would sometimes sit down and get to chat with them and hear the local news and hear their political views, most of which I didn't agree with, but, you know, we were able to have civil conversation. Um, I remember a a woman whose house I stayed in in rural Kentucky came out to meet me one night at like two in the morning and she had a nightgown and a shotgun, uh, (laughs) which she said was for my protection. Um, But, you know, I think my overall takeaway was just that, like, when we come to each other with vulnerability and kind of the realness of living life, we're all a lot more similar than we think. Even people that you think that you have nothing in common with, um, we're all humans. And it was just a really great um, experience for me, you know, in the midst of this big competition and trying to get to the finish line in Virginia as quickly as I could to have all of these really nice um, personal interactions that I think have continued to shape the way that I see our country today.
2: Wow, what an experience. I mean, you've you've seen our country in a way that few people have, right. You know, it's, it's not going to places as a tourist and staying at a hotel and, you know, going to the local restaurant and all the, all the things like you are experiencing the way people live in rural America and places many of us would never even go. Right. Um, and I also loved when you were talking about your why, uh, why you run and how that has shifted over time we've been encouraging um archie squad to to tap into their why especially as they're they a lot of them are just getting started of course you know it's the heat and humidity time of the year for for much of the country um so but but kind of looking at at these experiences and how you've changed your why over time how has running like How's it, how's it changed your life? How has it shaped how you live day to day?
0: That's such a great question. Um, and I think the answer that is that it has been integral. And there's kind of like, for me, there's this, definitely this iterative relationship between like my sports life and then the rest of my life. I mean, I'm, I have a job. Um, I work in global public health. Um, doing advocacy work. And, you know, I have like, you know, also like a regular, pretty busy life. And, but there is this interplay that I try to keep really closely between, you know, my sports, my training, my racing and the rest of my life, because I am at the center of it, right? Like, My becoming the person that I want to be is influenced by all of that. And so I would say that, like, um, running and, you know, endurance sports in general is like a tiny laboratory for you to practice and grow in all the ways that you want to grow. Like, if you want to push yourself, it's a safe space, right? Like, yeah, you may fail. But the, the consequences are low. So use using being able to think about, like, where do I want to go in my life? What adventures do I want to have? What risks do I want to take? How do I want to grow? And then using sports as a way to test some of those things out and create new habits is probably um, just the easiest way to explain, like, how, yeah, how exploring endurance sports and all of its facets has changed my life writ large.
2: Absolutely. I, speaking of public health, um, obviously we're in the middle of a global pandemic, hopefully starting to see the other side of it. Um, it's impacted everybody's lives. So how has it impacted you, your training, your work?
0: In a lot of ways. I mean, you know, it's, um, I've gotten, a much more busy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's the most basic answer, you know, all of these things that I've been working on for years, like hygiene and sanitation and vaccines, you know, trying to raise public awareness, like suddenly everyone cares when (laughs) before nobody cared (laughs) at all. Um, So really trying to just accelerate that work has required a lot of time and brain space. But I would say it's actually quite energizing and exciting to feel like, you could possibly be part of like uh, a change in the way that people see their health. Um, You know, we're really dealing with some, I, because I work in global health, we're really um, concerned about what's happening in very low income countries. And so there's sort of some very worrying, devastating um, aspects to that. Um, So it's, it, it's, tough you know I mean this time is tough for everyone for all kinds of different reasons and that's kind of my just touch point you know with this crisis is through my work Um, but as far as my I've really once again like tried to with my sports think about during this time what do I need to get out of my training and um, so I've been using it for that. And, you know, I think everyone is handling it a little bit differently. Um, for some people, you know, they want to do more. Some people want to do less. For some people, it's a it's a, just a stress relief. For me, I was like, told my coach, like, oh, this is a chance that we can work on some weaknesses that like, if I was training for competitions, I might not really spend a lot of time working on because I'm trying to really maximize my strengths. Um, So that's been both um, uh, horrifying and good (laughs) all at the same time. Um, But that's kind of been my choice uh, is to really look at where do I have really room to improve that I might not be doing otherwise uh, with like a normal racing schedule and focus on those things.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's such a good point. You know, we we so often are in our race cycle to race cycle to race cycle. And we, you know, we don't have the right space within that training macro in order to insert things. And Ruth and I are, are both going through that right now as we work on mobility and strength and some of those things that us endurance athletes sort of, you know, push to the wayside. Um, so it's, it's great that you're taking advantage of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it also is a good chance for people like to step back and say, oh, I don't have to, to hope that this race is going to happen in the fall. Instead, I can just step back and, and make some, you can make your own decisions and you're not having to let Covid or uh, you know canceling of races determine what you do and you know just pray that they happen. Instead, you can say you know what, just going to take the time to to shift a little bit. so I think that's a very positive way to <laughs> to look at you know how 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 you ca- how it cannot affect you. You can affect it in a sense. Yeah,
0: and you know just one more point on that. You know I think it's an opportunity as you're saying to not just think about. Your short-term performance, like you know, oh, I'm getting faster. But to ask yourself the question, who do I want to become as an athlete? And mm-hmm. you know, that's especially important for women. And it's you know, especially even it's becoming even more important. I can see, like, as I'm in my mid 40s now, it's like thinking 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, who do I want to be as an athlete? Um, and For me, like one of the ans like a couple of the answers to that question has been I wanna be I wanna have strong bones. I want to be mobile, I wanna have a lot of tools in my athletic toolbox, meaning I wanna be able to go out for a run, I wanna be able to go for a swim, I wanna be able to get on my bike and ride over a pass. And so what are the things that I need to make sure that I'm doing now to to ensure that those, you know, remain things that are true about me for the long term. And, you know, obviously you can't that those are all long term process goals, but we can begin to establish those habits at any time. So I think this is a great time to start that process if you haven't already.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I, yeah, I agree as well. And I and I think it gives relief too in a sense that you're, you know, like, Oh, for once I get a break from this, <laughs> this yeah. cycle of racing. Um, what do you think, uh, you have learned or have you learned more from what your successes or more from your failures? And if so, um, can you tell us about one of those situations and like what, or in, you know, an example of, and why it sticks with you so much?
0: Yeah. Um, Gosh, it, you know, it's a great question, and I think it's all uh, like the short answer is both. <laughs> um, so, I mean, of course, success is a great feeling, as I mentioned earlier, and you know, so the the caveat to that is we can def- we get to define success and failure for ourselves, and so you know, you can look at kind of external metrics like you know, getting faster performance, you know, winning, those are goals for some people. And like, for me, sometimes those are my, my metrics and success in those areas always feels good for me. Usually they, it feels good in the short term, as I meant also mentioned earlier, succeeding in more long-term things like establishing the habits, um, using endurance sports to develop patience that I see pay off in other areas of my life, success in those areas is pro- probably lasts longer. That's a longer term, sustainable, you know, success feeling for me. Then, you know, there's this whole question of like quitting and failure. You know, one funny anecdote is, um, I don't know if you all are familiar with Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. Um, but she has, you know, she kind of wrote like what was considered like the seminal book a few years ago on what grit means. And in there, she had a little quiz to see how much grit you have. And I can't remember what the scale was, but maybe say it's like a one to 10. I scored like a three or four where zero (laughs) is like having no grit, um, (laughs) <laughs> and which is kind of, you know, like you could say, well, that doesn't make any sense because you like to do these, you know, you stick with all these like long distance things. In a way that's true, but also um I'm not really afraid to quit, at least not anymore. Sometimes it's the right decision. Um, and you know, I think that was something that I really struggled with last year. I was mentioning quitting racing the tour divide. Um and it was just, I felt like a complete failure, but I realized later on that it was because I was conflating quitting with failing. And, you know, we grow up being taught that those two are the same thing and they're not. And, um, so I've gotten, I've tried to really work with quitting and failure to see if I can learn at least as much from the times when I do do that, um, as when I win or have success. And it, I will say it it feels bad, especially initially, it doesn't feel good. And I don't know if I'll ever get to a point where, you know, I feel totally okay with quitting. Um, and this is not to say that I don't believe in persistence and, you know, forging ahead and finishing things. Absolutely. I do. But Life is complicated and nuanced and, and there is not just one way to learn things. So I think, um, I I've gotten different things from both failure and success or from continuing on and quitting. And, uh, I just, I feel really lucky to be able to derive a lot of growth from both of them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh it is it is truly remarkable how in, introspective and 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 um that's not the only word i want to say, but just like how much reflection that you do and how much sport can cause the that to happen and so um that's impressive they're they're equal and equally as um satisfying it sounds like mm-hmm. um in that vein, do you have any advice for our she squad um in their getting done their first month of training, but knowing we have many months ahead um so any any advice from where you sit and what you know?
0: yeah, well, congrats first of all um for you know doing your training in a much more thoughtful and collaborative way than I did when I first started <laughs> um, i I mean, I guess like. You know, you might be going through ups and downs. You probably have some great runs, probably have some really crappy runs, probably feel on top of the world, probably wonder what you're doing. Um, And I would just say that's all part of the process. Um, You're not ever going to see a linear trajectory that only continues in one way. So, things are going to go great. Know that they will not always go great. And when things are going bad, know that they don't always get worse. Um, And that's just part of the learning and growing process. Um, I think this is kind of a theme that I've been hammering on, but like, decide what you need to get from your running and from this training cycle and then let that be in service to your needs to help you grow as a person. Sometimes it can kind of feel like you're at the mercy like of a workout. Oh, I have to do this, I have to do that. No, you don't have to. You get to. And also at sometimes like you don't need to be a slave to a schedule. You know, so it's it's once again like holding yourself to account, which is so What's so great about having a group, but also being kind to yourself to understand that like you need to figure out what's best for you um and I guess related to that is like just trying to balance those whatever performance goals you have for yourself, um whether it's you know just finishing the half marathon or doing it at a certain time with your make sure that you also have some goals for growth and self discovery because as we've all seen. Um, there's nothing certain except that everything is uncertain. (laughs) Um, and if you get wrapped up in the final goal, um, too much, then you could end up being really disappointed. But I feel like if the process can be as important to you as achieving your end goal, then your goal, nothing can touch you because you, you always have what you've gotten from that day to day process.
2: Yeah, that's cool. It's such good advice. Um, And actually, it really resonates. I've had, you know, a couple of years of just these sort of chronic injury cycles and have, you know, just taken a lot of steps backward to where, where I'd gotten to where I didn't like to run anymore because I was no, I had this, you know, image of myself of what I should be doing, these paces I should be running, the, you know, the performance I should be delivering that I wasn't capable of anymore. I am not capable of right now. I mean, I, I'd be capable again sometime. but I, I think, you know, really your, your point about balancing your expectations for your performance with these other things that you get out of it along the way, the self-discovery and what you can find in it. I'm not gonna lie, I might need a side pep talk on uh, failure and how to, uh, you know, how to <laughs> triumph over failure. <laughs> so, uh, I'm gonna sign up a little note of a you know get get Janie back for us to help us because that is a really really, really tough topic um oh man, I would
0: love I, to I'd love to dig <laughs> into that
2: that's that one's a big weighty one right we we could spend hour an hour on it itself and more
0: um, and i think and I think Jen, just to mention, I think that that topic is actually related to um what you mentioned, which is that having an idea in your mind of what should be that's not matching up to your perceived reality. I know for a fact that on the Tour Divide last year, that was exactly what happened to me. I had this idea in my mind that I was really beholden to. I didn't realize how beholden I was to it, but of what I should be doing or how I should be feeling, how I should be performing the amount of miles I should be covering every day, and I just wasn't doing it and it, at some level, that caused my failure um, right. and so I think the so so a huge takeaway for me was like try to work with this aligning where you are today with who you want to be. <laughs>
2: Yeah, um,
0: yes. yeah. So yes. anyway, yeah, I'd love to have a follow up conversation about that.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right on. I, I feel like we try so hard to get to that, where we think we should be that it actually sets us back, right? And we're yeah, that misalignment just it puts us on a totally different trajectory.
1: Um yeah. I was just going to add to that if it's okay. It seems like that's where even with our group and sort of some of the comments that we've gotten that it is such an important time to mention it because I think setting appropriate or reality check on expectations is kind of part of setting yourself up for the, or not setting yourself up, but getting yourself in the right space. And so I think that's actually, you know, I think we should, dive into it a lot more because I think that's a really difficult topic too, but I also think it's just so timely for where I feel like the group is right now at this sort of, it's been a couple of weeks and so where are we? So anyway, thank you guys Absolutely. for bringing that out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's per- perfect timing. They're in week four of their training program, right? So it's that, that the excitement of starting something new is waning. Now it's the real, you know, it's getting real and and it's getting hard. Right. So, yeah great so what let's end with a couple of fun questions since we've we've gotten into some weighty stuff if you could pick any person in the world to go on a run or go on a bike with uh who would it be
0: ruth Aww. <laughs> oh
2: <my God. laughs> get down here and run with
0: me ruth
1: okay i can do that, <laughs>
2: we can't make that happen it's only a few hours
0: and then se- second second to Ruth would be uh, the poet Mary Oliver, who is not possible because she has passed away. I don't know if you're both familiar with her, but I just love the way that she sees the world or saw the world. And um, I would just love to, yeah, kind of see the world through her
1: eyes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, pretty close to that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, mean, I mean, you got Ruth.
1: <laughs> yeah. <I'm> like,
2: okay. <laughs> totally. I don't even memor- Oliver.
1: <laughs> <No kidding. laughs> well, yeah, I'll just I'll just memorize or like carry cheat sheets when we talk. <laughs> <laughs> Janie, what are you doing with your wild and wonderful life? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> lots of adjectives in our discussion. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> where's your dream run or bike destination?
0: Oh gosh, there's so many places that I want to go um, at some point, but. Spain being one of them, I was hoping to go and race in Spain this year. Um, I've gotten the opportunity to do a lot of riding and running in a lot of places around the world. I have to say that where I live in Salida, Colorado, is pretty much a dream location. I mean, you can speak to this, Ruth, but like you are literally right out your door to trails. The weather, at least for this part of the year, is absolutely beautiful, um, so for the people in the training group, if you have not checked out this time, this part of Colorado, when it's safe to do so, um, come and visit us because it really is a, a Mecca for running and riding.
1: Definitely.
2: Definitely. All right. So now we have to go to Bu- Buena Vista and Salida. We've got, we've got some <laughs> Colorado touring to do. <laughs> <laughs> so anything that either of you guys want to add before we wrap up this great discussion?
0: Um just thank you guys so much for having me here. And it's so cool. I mean, we didn't spend a lot of time talking on about this, but I was there at the beginning of rogue and um, it's just so cool to watch um, what that group has become and how um, you continue to be an inspiration for everyone, but especially for women and, um, yeah, I just can't wait to kind of see what happens for the women in the group and what you guys continue to do. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, thanks. Great. Thanks. Thanks for being here. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. No, me too.
2: Me too. And I, I can't wait for our our squad to get to hear this. Like I think I think you just you added some additional elements, new elements of inspiration that I think they're gonna be able to take a lot from. So uh if we learned anything from Jamie today, it's that um we can overcome failure. I'm trying to think of all the things I, I want to say um, that we should balance our performance goals with self-discovery. Um, I love how you tap into your why and have evolve, evolved that over time. So she squad, commit to your training, stay focused, and let's go.
0: There you go. Janie Hayes, Ruth and Jen, thanks to them for that conversation and thanks to all of you for continuing to listen as I've stepped away. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter,
2: Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.